you didn't do a podcast last weekend, so there's two weeks that one could go through if one were really ambitious. You know, I pulled every one of the scripts just to see what it was. And and I thought, why not just kind of see how far we can get through it? Welcome to This Week of Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and this episode covers the weeks ending in the 17th and 24th of February 2023. And we'll go in reverse order. It'll be like one of those uh, Seinfeld episodes yeah. where everything happens in reverse. Betrayal, the, the great yeah. the tribute to Harold Pinter. That's right. That's one of the best things ever on television was that was that episode. That is one of the funniest yeah. things I've ever seen. Well, it's a, it's uh, maybe the best show ever on television, period. And uh, But that episode was especially good. And I remember hearing about it and thinking, what? But, uh, boy, they pulled it off. If we start today and go backwards, uh, two weeks, Monday through Friday, 10 episodes of uh, this commentary, this is commonsense.org, freedom isn't the danger. And um, this is about... Uh, a, a a judge in Canada declaring that Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's uh, freezing of truckers' bank accounts without a trial, without any any rights, uh, was justified because we need order in society, and that's just some vague. You know, we'll just define that word. We we know order when we see it. Some protests might be out of order. Some might be in order. Maybe they'll all be out of order eventually. But but whatever, it's all going to be decided by some judge. And silly grounds. And Matt Taibbi is somebody who's been on this case for a while. You know, another liberal journalist in that I think his politics is certainly well left of center, but is a journalist. So oftentimes is speaking to a lot of people who are right of center, as well as some people in the center and, you know, all over who happen to care about what's really going on. I mean, he did a lot of the Twitter files. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about that is, you know, he, he released them. He talked sensibly about them, what they showed, didn't show. Uh and then, of course, when the media said, well, there's really nothing here because they didn't care to cover any of it, followed up and pointed out how much there was there. And that basically what was there, just to go on this tangent, is that the government was paying Twitter, was working with Twitter, was actively colluding to censor stuff. And yeah, that's no big deal if you're the New York Times and the Washington Post and the networks and and CNN and MSNBC and whoever. That's no big deal because those censorships happening for us so that we can win elections. That's what they're I guess that's the mindset. And um, and but not not for Matt Daibi, who kind of thinks it's a bad idea if people can't get good information in a democracy. Uh, it's a bad idea not to be in a democracy and not be able to get good information. And and that's what this is. Uh, that's what that's about. And and it leads to this being largely a non-story in the United States of America. Our neighbor, our neighbor, who I kind of think and maybe this is just from movies or something, but our neighbor who, you know, if, if we weren't sure about doing something, a good neighbor to talk to and go, should should we get involved in this uh, overseas action or not? I mean, kind of a calm neighbor, 
not quite as as you know as aggressive, hot to trot, whatever you want to say, uh, America is. And yet now they've become a neighbor who, you know, I, I don't want their opinion on stuff because they've allowed uh, Trudeau to be a, a, a just a, a dictator, in essence. And, and, you know, I'm not saying, gee, he dictates over everything in the world. He's, he's not Xi Jinping, he's not Putin. Gee, you know, that's great. Uh, but he is someone who, if you're protesting him, and he doesn't know what to do about the protest, might decide to use all kinds of thuggish, illegal tactics. Now, this judge says they're legal, but in it'd be like the president of the United States saying, I didn't like the Occupy new movement. I didn't, and Trump saying, I didn't like the folks in the in Lafayette Square. And so I froze all their bank accounts. Or I pushed through with a bunch of police and shoved him out of the way and kicked him a couple times, you know, and, and maybe kicking them is worse than freezing their bank account. But I know a lot of people who would allow you to kick them a couple times if they could get their bank account back. So, so it's the sort of thing where these are both like serious, this, this is serious stuff and it's completely extrajudicial there's there's no they're not this isn't a thing where trudeau like said hey could i do this here's my evidence whatever this is the government acting unilaterally and a court later coming up and saying yeah it's okay because we need order and it led to me uh uh quoting an anarchist pj pradun and uh French Proudhon, yeah, who says that liberty is not the daughter but the mother of order. And that's our point in this piece is that freedom is not a danger to order. And you know, people can go, you can you can say now, well, but if there were just total freedom where people could do whatever they want, including shoot everybody. Nobody's talking about that sort of freedom. We're in the real world. And yes, there are criminals and we want police to arrest those criminals when they commit crimes. But the whole idea of allowing people to make choices about things like education, about things like religion, about their own lives, where they're not aggressing against anybody else, what they eat, um, when they sleep. Uh, you know, th these are things that that people uh, have a right to decide for themselves in any sort of decent society. And uh, and the idea that somehow we are going to allow, you know, a, a president to just unilaterally uh, uh, steal money from people who, you know, treat people as criminals who protest him or her. That's, you know, that, welcome to modern North America and our, and our usually, usually reasonable uh, uh, Canadian friends. The day before was sneaky censorship. What's oh, I got him out of order, huh? I did. Oh, no, no, no. That's right. We're going in that order. See, I've already got, I would have been the guy on the Seinfeld set, just like everyone going, just shut up, Paul. Okay. <laughs> we'll tell you what day it is. 
Anyway, uh, sneaky censorship. It, this is the smoking gun. The smoking gun. And it's, I, I'll bet most people have no idea about this story whatsoever. And this is a story about the State Department basically funding organizations that then turn around and advocate and push to basically demonetize hate organizations, terrible purveyors of disinformation and misinformation and hate. Hate! They, they are hate mongers, and we have to stop them. And that's what these organizations are. They're NGOs. So they're allowed to have whatever opinion they want, and all they dislike is hate. But they got a whole bunch of money, $300 million, as, as I pointed out in this piece, three-tenths of a billion, to basically try to demonetize and hurt groups that are full of hate and so on. Now, let's, let's list the groups that are full of hate and disinformation and misinformation. The New York Post. This is this is the newspaper. The what is it? The the it's the fourth largest paper in the country. I think it's the oldest newspaper in the country, and the the newspaper that dared to print the truth at a, in on on a timely basis about Hunter Biden's laptop. Now that everybody's recognized now as the truth, but they refused to consider when it counted before people actually voted on whether they had that information or not. Reason. Reason Magazine is how I always think about it because it was a magazine back in the day. It's largely online now, but Reason is a wonderful and and you know in in this space uh, at thisiscommonsense.org we we play off of a lot of Reason stuff because there are people kind of and and oftentimes we will we will differ in some way. You know we're not always hey whatever they said was perfect because in some sometimes you want to eh, I want to I want to. I want to kind of make a different libertarian argument or or push back on on where they went. So we haven't always been positive, but what a great uh, bunch of people and and a, a great outlet in terms of honest, forthright about here's what we as a news organization believe and here's the facts we have. And most of it's opinion pieces. So it's not like, you know, it's not like they're... Uh, you know, they're trying to hoodwink people with fake news stories. This is a very reputable uh, group I'm I'm proud to be a fan of. So Newsmax, and I, I don't watch as much Newsmax, but I know a lot of different people who are involved in it. And again, you know, if, if you could show, oh, here's the terrible things they've done, seems to me they've reported from a conservative standpoint. The Federalist, who I, a pretty new uh uh, media outlet, which I think has broken some, and I, I can't think of exactly which, but there are several stories that it was the Federalist who kind of first broke them. Uh, I think they do great journalism and American Spectator. And of course, it, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether I think these are good or bad or you do or anybody else does. Our government doesn't have any right to spend millions of dollars trying to screw up your business because they don't like your point of view. 
even if you're a hateful, terrible, rotten person, they don't have that right. And uh, we point out in this piece, you know, there were no commie egalitarian groups, uh, no no super woke websites uh, that that were shut down or that were demonetized in this way. But this is, again, you know, we all kind of recognize the government can't come in and arrest you and shut down your publication. They can't do it. But it's okay somehow for social media groups, for other groups to campaign, do all kinds of things to cancel certain opinions. And I would recognize it is. I think it's a stupid thing to do. It's not helpful to society. Give more information. Don't try to shut down other operations that are saying their opinion. And even when they're, they're people I think are bad, I'd rather they we know exactly where they are and we can listen to every stupid word they say, as opposed to shutting them down in some totalitarian, you know, mistake. We again and again have pointed out this is not private groups independently doing these things. These are groups that were in oftentimes created by government, that spun out of government programs that are heavily funded by government um, and are continuing to be funded by government. Here's $300 million to groups whose whole goal is to shut down other people's speech. And, and if you agree with them politically, good for you, but recognize that it's wrong and that if you believe in a government that just that can just throw money around to try to cancel out certain opinions, you don't believe in a free government and you don't believe in the government that 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 I do. That's for sure. Well, Wednesday, the day before, was the 2021 spike. Yes. And uh, and this is this is the vaccine adverse event reporting system. You know, there's been a lot of different controversies because early on in COVID, you had, you know, spikes in reports of, of different, you know, problems with some drugs and then the vaccine. And, and you know, people would, would downplay that, well, there's sometimes there's just misreporting or whatever. And then you didn't hear much of anything about it. And now we're, and this is true about all kinds of things, masks and, and the vaccine and other, we're starting to find out stuff now. And, you know, it's, it's not as if, gee, millions are, are in, in unmarked graves, you know, throughout the countryside. But in essence, we find out all kinds of things we were told are true. We have, we have discovered that even our leaders who were telling us how many people were dying of COVID admit that they dramatically overcounted the COVID deaths. We have people who told us that masks were counterproductive, who then later said masks are critical in preventing you know, more people from getting it, to now studies that are pretty much showing that the masks didn't have any positive effect whatsoever, which you know, a couple of people who I thought knew something about this, I asked early on you know, what they thought you know, what happened with masks. And they said, viruses have a have a way of just getting to everybody. So, so it's like, there's that. It's There's almost nothing that's going to stop a virus from getting to everybody. But anyway, um, and, and we're much more about herd mentality. Here, one of the problems I had with the vaccine um, was that they didn't seem to tell you whether you needed it if you 
had already had COVID and had the natural antibodies. And to this day, they they really don't seem to be very clear about that other than you probably should get the vaccine and get all the boosters and all the, but there do seem to have been a lot of adverse effects. And, you know, the numbers, the numbers aren't good for them and the numbers have now come out and it's, it's just dramatic. Uh, you know, that, that all the different vaccines that were being given before 2021, you know, you'd have two or 3,000 people who were reporting adverse effects. And in 2021, you had over 41,000 people who were reporting those things. And well, that's in Florida. That's in Florida, yes. Um, and And part of why we wanted to talk about this other than that this is a huge issue that we've just had a pandemic and you know you gotta after these things look at okay what we do right and what we do wrong and lying about things and hiding information from us that we did wrong the government did that wrong that it is not helpful and i point to and i believe we did a commentary about this that when they pulled Johnson & Johnson vaccine off the market because of some reports of adverse effects, the science pretty much looked that these these are a few bad effects you're going to have that when, when millions of people are getting a vaccine and that it's no more than if everybody took, you know, a baby aspirin. There was one, uh, you know, uh, person who was arguing, you know, this would, we would ban baby aspirin if we were worried about this level of adverse side effects. There's always going to be some level. So it may not have been the smartest thing for for the government to in effect say we've got you've got to pull this. When they did this, the support and the confidence in the vaccines went way up, way up. Well, why? Because like me, I think a lot of people out there thought if these things are killing people, we may not find out. If there's a certain level of, of adverse reaction that's starting to concern scientists with the political science and, and scientific collusion going on on this pandemic, we may not hear about it. And, you know, and anyone who says, oh, well, that's not the right. I mean, and and. Am I, you know, do I have evidence that that's exactly that there was a meeting and they all got together and said, let's hide all the statistics from these rotten people? Uh, no, but they, they talk about the American people as rotten people half the time. Anyway, I'm just I'm just riffing. But um, but this is this is something that I think is a legitimate fear. And we point out in this piece, we know this because Florida has transparency, apparently release this information, many states have not. And we as the public, you know, ought to weigh in in whatever way we can that we want more information. Let's, what went right? What went wrong? Let's not be, and and I said at the beginning of the pandemic, um, in my usual way of giving away too much to the other side, um, that I wasn't going to, you know, come down on politicians because they made some mistake. If it was an honest mistake, we hadn't been through pandemics all the time. You know, the mistakes happened. And I still feel that way. And, but you've got to, you've got to recognize the difference between a mistake 
and a purposeful, you know, lying, misrepresenting, using government funds to hide information from the people. And when I think about using government funds to hide information from the people, we may not get through all all 10 of these. (laughs) (laughs) But when I think of that, I think about Dr. Fauci. And I have to say, going into this, maybe I just was uninformed. I had no ill will toward Dr. Fauci. I didn't see him as some terrible guy. I saw him as a doctor who probably wanted to help people. And uh, and I had a couple of people early on because I had said something about him say, oh, you should look into Dr. Fauci. Anyway, I just looked at what he did with this pandemic. And, you know, every every battle that was hyped up between him and Rand Paul. Well, Rand Paul was right about everything, about everything he said. And Fauci was full of it. And that's, it's just clear as day. And then there's the emails where Fauci's colluding with people to hide any possibility that there could be a lab leak. And then today is asked, you know, not this very day, but all the time has been asked, you know, what about, well, we should look into that. Well, then why at the beginning of this were you colluding with people to try to block anybody from looking into it and saying it's some conspiracy theory? Because he was implicated in the possibility that this came from a lab that he, through intermediaries, funded that was playing around with gain-of-function stuff on, on coronaviruses. And and. Why Why our media, is, and it's not just Dr. Fauci, why does our media, I guess because they're on that political side, and so they they can't tell us these things, but I mean, didn't they read the emails? Didn't, don't they know that Fauci is full of it on this? They they keep standing up for him. I just wonder, did they ever read those emails that, that he had had? with different people saying, oh, we've got to, you know, in essence, nip this in the bud. Well, certainly there's also another issue with the media anyway. Most of these major corporations have huge investments in Pfizer and similar big pharma companies. And Pfizer and those big pharma companies have cozy and uh, I, I would say incestuous relationships with the government, Fauci and people like that. And it's it's what you get when you have big business and big government partnerships like we do with drugs. Yes. This is how it works. It's capture both directions. And it's very interesting. The left used to be against it. And and of course, Ralph Nader still is today against it. But the, the, the left, for the most part, is now in favor of it. Well, they've realized that the only way they're going to get their the totalitarian state they want, and that's putting it in the nasty way, the only way they're going to get the state they want is if it's done through corporations. Biggest, and you know, progressivism started out with big business, big government partnerships. That is what progressivism is. I mean, leftists can say they're against big business, but everything, but but that's how they've always done. I mean, 1913 and the creation of the Federal Reserve, the unquestionable uh, institution in the United States. Everybody says you got out of the Federal Reserve. Well, that is basically a big bank uh, government partnership. To run the money supply as a as, as a venture to prop up the government and to you know prop up the banks. I mean, it it's, it, it it's sort of like they've decided to buy and they they see that the communism with Chinese characteristics is the most successful communism because it's really state mercantilism, which is just mercantilism is is state run, state yeah. favored businesses. 
and it's it's totalitarian mercantilism in essence um and and so they've they've kind of uh, hey let's go with the winners um we don't want to lose well i mean it is it is basically the fascistic model uh progressives fascists all that is post socialist in the 20th century these ideologies evolved to a great extent in reaction to the failure of communism and socialism and uh, you know socialism had a huge collapse in the late 19th century in thought because it would just prove to be kind of a you know a, a bunch of very nonsense but the technocrats the people who liked controlling uh, they were progressives and uh, so it's it's an interesting problem but one of the interesting things about this piece and and uh, is is the quotations toward the end of Dr. John Campbell uh, who is you know, which I, I often forward uh, his uh, talks to you because I'm such a big fan of his. Partly because he was a doctor who started dealing with the pandemic from early on having daily talks. And over time, he's become deeply critical of almost all government policy. He didn't start out that way. Right. He was a big supporter of, of vaccines. He was a big supporter of all these things. And then he's just turned around because the evidence, follow the evidence wherever it leads, is behind him. And his point in the quote from him, but also elsewhere, is that governments haven't been good about distinguishing what part of the population is at peril from this disease. We knew early on that it was old people and people with, uh, you know, what they call comorbidities. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what governments tell us. They've been trying to tell us that children need to get these shots, which is just not true. Uh, and also that the, the uh, mortality risk for normal people for people in their 30s and 40s, for instance, is almost nothing. Uh, and it's and that and it really needs to be stated uh, point blank that they've been they've fallen down on the job. And he praised Florida, as you point out here, because Florida not only confessed to this data, which is readily available, it collated it and then changed its advice. That's counter to the CDC and counter to the to, to Fauci and learn yeah. something for yeah. heaven's sake. And he, he also pointed out after he said, good job, Florida, you know, but uh, Europe, U.S., you know, just went through um, Australia, New Zealand. Bad job. Bad job. Yeah. So we also had a uh, we do a uh, today in in freedom history segment every day on what happened that day. And uh, uh, some of my heroes, uh, Hans and Sophie Scholl, brother and sister, she was 22 i think he was 24 uh christoph pope probst uh who was 23 and had three kids and a wife uh were executed on february 22nd 1943 so 80 years ago on wednesday uh, ash wednesday and um and they were uh very strong christian pro-freedom folks their father had been had said things against Hitler and been taken custody by the uh, Gestapo before a short period of time, you know, didn't spend a long time in concentration camp, but their family had been in some trouble. Uh, Hans was a little, little slow to join the, uh, the Hitler youth. And, uh, and uh, that was, you know, in the public record. Uh, But they had, they with a number of other young students, mainly medical students, saw Hitler as just profoundly evil and uh, began to write pamphlets that ended up being in, I think, 20 countries. Uh, but they got them out all different ways. Uh, we have those pamphlets up at 
this is commonsense.org. Um, and it's the sort of thing where uh, these were very intellectual, uh, but very powerful. And, and it just, to me, has always shown that, that even in the worst of circumstances, um, a lot of regular people are doing extraordinarily wonderful and good things and pro-freedom things, because that's that's the side that's all that good is always on. Uh, you know, it just seems like good's never on the side of forcing everybody to be good. Funny how that works. But I, I look at history. I'm, I think you'll agree. And uh, but anyway, they're they're uh, they've always been kind of heroes uh, of mine and uh, and this was this was the week and and we have focused on them and I wrote a column maybe twenty years ago uh, about them for the first time but uh, it's the kind of history that I think uh, is worth people knowing because you know I always point out to people after World War II it's uh, funny isn't it how easily the Germans went to peace. You know, there weren't any, there weren't any mass riots and protests that no wait, we wanted to be at war. And, and Japan was kind of the same way they've adapted to, to peace and a level of, uh, you know, freedom and democracy uh, very easily. And I think it's because that's kind of what they always wanted in the first place. And that it was governments that created a different, uh, a different mindset and a different uh, a different incentive structure that that uh, led those countries astray in the same way that uh, that, you know, the Chinese people are not the problem. And I'm sure there are Chinese people who are gun ho that China do everything that are, you know, just like there are people in the U.S. that, you know, it's America right or wrong. And I and really. I love America, but it's only America right. I'm not behind America being wrong. Um, when governments are wrong, big bad things happen. So um, so let's not ever be our side right or wrong. And, you know, you look at, at a place like China, and it's not like you can public opinion poll it. But, you know, uh, every time there's, the, you know, protests happen, and when they happen, people say things and they're constantly th saying things about universal suffrage and the right to a free press and these sorts of things in protests over zero covid they're talking about free press and the freedom to speak and and you know that tiananmen square they very quickly were talking about the declaration of independence and things like that these are educated savvy people and they want what people everywhere want. And and I just, I like this story because it shows how brave people can be and how certain people are just, you know, they're just not gonna, they're not gonna knuckle under. And that is a wonderful trait in human beings. And I, I want to, uh, I want to stoke it all I can. Well, on Tuesday, February 21st, we have O to oust. And here we have a question of the people not having a right that would really be helpful, and that is the right of recall. Yes, and we have it some places. You know, we have it in a number of states for governor. Two governors in over 100 years, two governors have been recalled 
one in North Dakota, happened to be a communist. Uh, I'm not sure that's why he was recalled, because he was a communist when he was elected. And uh, that was in the 1920s. And in California, uh, Gray Davis, uh, back in at, in the 90s. Uh, I think that was Wasn't the, the 2000s. I thought that it's was the 2000s. I think you're right. I think you're right. It was the 2000s, maybe. Anyway, uh, but but uh, it's a it's a process that is almost always not used when it should be, and very rarely used when it should not be. And uh, uh, we need it at the congressional level. And I, I, you know, you you hear so many members of Congress that's. George Santos, who's lied about everything I say in this piece, you know, if that's his real name, um, he's a big liar. And of course, the voters were hoodwinked. I don't know why the, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee didn't do their opposition research and find out that the Republican running is full of it. Uh, but for whatever reason, people were hoodwinked there. And should they have to just live with it for two years? Well, you know, you could you could condemn them to that. But why? Why not say, yeah, let's have a process to where they go, oh, we screwed up big time. Let's get this guy out of there. And every congressman wants to say, oh, he should resign. But they also say there's a problem. And and, and they're right to some degree. The voters put him in. And who are we to throw him out? Well, if you believe that, then give the voters the right to throw him out. But it's the last thing in Congress they ever think about. They never think about empowering the folks back home unless it's with some money. And guess where they got that money? <laughs> so it's like, we will give you back some of your money, but power? No, we're not giving back any power. This would be a simple way to solve this. And it would not only solve the George Santos problem to have a recall provision in the in the law and i think they could do it by law i don't think they'd have to do it by constitutional amendment but if they did get two-thirds more than two-thirds have run their mouth about he's a bad guy who ought to be out of there let the people have this process to get rid of george santos and get rid of the next george santos and the george santos after that and and so on and so uh that's that is uh oh to oust go to this is commonsense.org and give it a read the picture for o to oust <laughs> is a guy obviously a congressman or a politician but he's a mouse or a rat i didn't draw it you didn't draw it but i'm curious how do you interpret that picture well it looks a lot like george santos oh, does it okay to be honest <laughs> i mean he, he is kind of round his face is round he's not like a heavy guy really this 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 portrayal is probably heavier than he is, but his face is kind of that way. So it, it, it actually fits a little bit, okay. um, but he's a rat. He's a, and, and, you know, the, the person who comes to mind is the, uh, the guy years ago, a decade or so ago uh, on Saturday night live, who would just lie one lie after the other and, and uh, would say, oh, that's the ticket. And, uh, you know, he'd make up some lie. Yeah, that's the ticket. And uh, I can't think of his name. I'm not John Lovett. Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, uh, that's who comes to mind when I think of George Santos. And and this guy kind of has that look. This this guy, this rat, this congressman. Okay, very good. That makes sense. Monday was disbar the disbarers. Yes, and uh, but uh, first I wanted to mention one thing about uh, Tuesday, and that is that we had for the today. Three horrors 
Um, the first was that February 21st was Karl Marx and Friedrich Eagle, Engels, Eagles, Engels published the Communist Manifesto, which I really don't think added anything but bad actions and bad thinking. Not a great day. The Battle of Verdun. Which, One of the worst battles in human history. Yes. I, mean, I see here the combined toll, I didn't realize that, was over 300,000 people. That's a lot. That's a lot in a single battle. Wow. And then Malcolm X uh, was gunned down uh, on February 21st, 1965. And um, I, I want to also mention that we had, that I like Malcolm X, and I'm sure there are political stuff that we would disagree on, uh, but just a refreshingly straightforward uh, speaker and, and, uh, and, and changed his mind on different things, said that after he went to the, uh, uh, he was Muslim and it, throughout his life, and um, and after he went to Mecca, uh, came back and had a different view toward uh, white folks, did not see them as devils in the same way. Um, and, you know, just someone who, who I think was, uh, spoke his truth to power, whether it was always truth or not, it always was to him, uh, uh, somebody I respect. And he said this, you get freedom by letting your enemy know that you'll do anything to get your freedom. Then you'll get it. It's the only way you'll get it. And, uh, it, you know, that so reminds me of uh, Frederick Douglass and some of, the, some of his comments about uh, that power concedes nothing without a demand. Um, and, of course, both of them were we're fighting against uh, big odds, so. But we're fighting against big odds, too. And I, I think that acknowledgement of that idea, when our sector of the population becomes what um, Nassim Taleb calls, uh, what, what, is, what is this uh, Nassim's t t term? Um, uh, intransigent minority. When we become the tr intransigent minority, then things get very bad for progressivism and socialism and technocracy and all those things. And I think that's the only way we have to become intransigent. And we're not ready yet. I don't think that our side is prepared for it yet. But I think John Brennan knows that that's a problem. And that's why he listed even libertarians as possible terrorists, because they know that as soon as Americans... And libertarians realize that the libertarian idea can be defended by balking at all the authoritarianism. Just balk, not cooperating. Right, right. Just right. not cooperating. Then they know the gig is up. Or is it the jig? I never... Is it the it's gig? The, or jig, the, I think. the jig it, is up, because I think it, at that point... But a gig could be up, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I think it's the jig that's actually up. I think it is the jig is then up. Then you're dancing, and it's kind of like, what? Yeah, I don't know how that works. But anyway, uh, it, but I think that they know at that point that everything rests, that America, thinking that liberty is something like what we have, and we can't resist government on any of these things. And as long as Americans are, will cave at everything, they do. Just, you know, let them go. And I think that after well, this and, pandemic, there and, may be and, hope that Americans aren't going to mask up again, for instance. Yes, when you mentioned John Brennan, um, uh, former 
what CIA and, yeah. and so on. And his saying libertarians like that's a that's a mark that we might want to investigate you if you are a libertarian. I just saw an article today. Maybe maybe I'll write about it for next week, um, where they have discovered that the FBI had a memo suggesting that traditionalist Catholics who like the Latin mass should fit some profile to where we can investigate them now as likely terrorists. And, and of course that's, that's, I know, (laughs) I know a number of people I know and love a number of people uh, who like the Latin mass and, uh, and consider themselves traditionalist Catholics and it is, I mean, again, it's almost like if it were somebody else who wasn't as mainstream, well, then it'd be terrible that the FBI did this. But because they're going after people who are, you know, largely white, although uh, Catholics are of all stripes, you know, it's it's uh, kind of silly to, to look at it that way. It's it It just is the government doing stuff that is absurdly you know discriminatory without even the slightest shred of of any excuse other than we don't like their politics that's what they don't like about the traditionalist catholics they're not liberal democrats let me just tell you they're not liberal democrats that's their crime i was just reading an article by douglas murray i think it was yes douglas murray in the spectator in britain and uh he uh, saw that the you know some government agency in Britain, uh, uh, some educators were trying to discourage people from reading. Well, they said that radicalization could occur from reading C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Huxley, or Conrad. Uh, so, and in a sense, he's right. Luckily, in just sense, those four. Just yeah. those four. Any other writer in history, you're safe. But those but, four. But Lewis, Tolkien, Huxley, and Conrad. I don't know much about Conrad. I, I don't like him. But the other three I love. And, uh, and they're very different. But they were all against authoritarianism. Wow. And they're all very popular, especially Lewis and Tolkien. And I'm sure Orwell's rolling in his grave going, what the heck about me? What am I, chopped liver? That, that That's actually mentioned by Douglas Murray. So it's a, it's a fun piece. <laughs> and uh, But it's kind of interesting that they are very aware of the ideological conflict and who's not on the right, their side. Yes. And they yes. are preparing to strike back in interesting ways. And they are doing it. And they've been doing it for a long time by deprecating Lewis and Tolkien, Huxley and Conrad, but especially Lewis and Tolkien. You know, Lewis yes. and Tolkien get no respect from the academics, you know, literary departments. Though Lewis wrote one of the, I think one of the great works of the 20th century literature, uh, Till We Have Faces. And Tolkien wrote the most popular book of literature of the 20th century and of the current age. The most well, popular, I, Lord of the Rings. Right, uh, right. The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. There's, there's no question about it. Well, and, and I don't know enough about Tolkien to know why he makes that list, but C.S. Lewis is arguably is arguably the best arguer for Christianity in the 20th century. And so, you know, you can understand why he makes that list. He was also very classically liberal, but conservative, as we would now say. Uh, The humanitarian theory of punishment and many other, he's he's against, you know, the modern medical state 
where you know you put people in prison for having the wrong ideas because they're really crazy you know things like that right. uh right. he basically very interesting stuff he wrote a book called the abolition of man which is a very good and very bad book but it's very important and it's been very important to radicalize people away from worship of the state and and for the kind of ideas that support the state in stupid ways i mean i'm not talking about just little states and governments i'm talking about the maximum state the the modern behemoth the leviathan which i don't like anyway maybe we should get get back to disbar the disparers and this i think is something that uh a lot of people on the left um because they so hate what happened January 6th and Trump not leaving office like he should. And, and, and I think we would both agree that's been overhyped and blown out of all proportion. But I certainly think, you know, and I said the day after the morning after this, which was written the day before. um, I mean, it wasn't hard to tell right off the bat, everybody who had anything to do with breaking into the Capitol and threatening people needs to be prosecuted and and you know case closed but um but i think you know there you know a lot of people don't realize people have been challenging some of these state things for a long time i remember barbara boxer way back when challenging a bunch of them and i was thinking why is she challenging this is ridiculous but it was so she could give some speech that you know the republicans have gerrymandered or this or that this is not unusual and what the left is doing to try to just make it to where it's too tiresome to fight them is to go after anyone who is on the other side on anything. And it makes it easier because uh, Ken Paxton, who is the AG in Texas, uh, you know, had challenged how several states had conducted their 2020 elections. Challenges that I think uh, people who who like fair, free and fair elections would welcome. And I don't mean that they have to welcome as individual points or whatever, but if we're going to look at the election, let's let a court look at it. Let's hear any challenge that anybody has. That's how you have good elections. Instead, they are looking to disbar him. And by him, you mean Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. And filing complaints and so on. And are they going to disbar him? I don't think there's a snowball's chance in Hades that they will. But are they going to cause him a lot of pain and suffering by what essentially is a slap lawsuit? I think we had a script, you know, uh, maybe it's in this in this batch about Iowa passing legislation to help fight uh, against slap lawsuits. Slap lawsuit being a strategic litigation against public participation. Uh, Maybe it's political participation, but it's basically where someone's suing you to tie you up in court so that you can't be politically active. And if they have some grounds, like they really have a lawsuit against you, of course, it's not a slap. A slap is basically, you don't have anything against this person. You're just harassing them by filing a lawsuit against them. And we we saw this years ago uh, at This Is Common Sense. We uh, covered uh, an event in Nevada that went on and on where they were suing, a city was suing the people who did an initiative. 
And so they pass an initiative and the city is trying to bankrupt them basically by we're going to, we're going to use your tax dollars to fight you and, and say that you owe the city money and, and so on for forcing us to like have this election. It was absurd. And of course, when it got to the, the Nevada Supreme Court, it was so absurd that even they could tell that this was a, a whole pile of, and they ended up um, slapping down what the city had done. I mean, when you have your government actively trying to destroy your life to stop you from being able to serve as a citizen and hold them accountable, it kind of shows you how bad things have gotten. And this is what's happened to where the AG in Texas is, is uh, you know, having to fight a, a harassing action uh, that I think has zero legal merit. The piece you were referencing from the previous week, from February 15th, is the last shall be first. And that's about the Iowa House, uh, that you, the story that you were mentioned before. Okay. And uh, and now that I've referenced it, I can put that down, and we don't need to talk about it anymore because we're gonna we're gonna have a hard time getting through all these if we if we talk at length for each one. I think you're right about that, and and uh, let's just mention some of the other uh, stories that we ran, and and uh, we'll we'll zip through them here. Uh, I did want to mention that over last weekend when we didn't offer this wonderful podcast. We had uh, a couple of uh, memes that we put up, one being governments and experts and letting people know not to worry about the uh, massive uh, chemical spill and then the burning it all into the atmosphere uh, that the experts in our government oversaw. And then we had another one on, on I believe it was Saturday, where uh, we had uh, Joe Biden, what he says and what he means I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't I didn't write this. Uh, it's not mine, but I did laugh out loud in reality. Uh, and then last week we had urinals D and recommissioned. And uh, this is a New Hampshire uh, school district. And, you know, they're they're fighting over bathrooms. And it seems to me that uh, one, it shows that even even without the Equal Rights Amendment, we point out uh, it it basically we we're going to all have unisex bathrooms, and and of course they are putting in single unisex bathrooms different places, which I guess helps solve the the uh, problem of transgender people. If you you know don't want them going in, you know if you don't want a transgender woman who's a you know got male equipment going into a uh, uh, woman's restroom, then you have to have a unisex or you have to say, hey, you got to go in the men's room. And, you know, it's not that there's not some complexity to this problem. And I think you got to look at any of this and you got to realize these are real people involved. Uh, I don't want anybody, I don't want anyone who's transgender to be feeling like they're being put down when it's time to go to the bathroom. I think going to the bathroom should be something that's quick, easy, and then in and out, you know, really quick. Um, that's that's just me. Um, I think bathroom anarchy has worked wonderfully. It's the one place that anarchy seems to have worked. Not that they haven't had male and female, but I've never known any policing, really, and I've run into very little problems. Let's not go into stories about people who have run into problems because that wouldn't be fun. But um, but anyway, this to me, more than anything, 
just shows why we need school choice and people can choose. I don't want to dictate to somebody else how their kids, what the rigmarole is or what the signs are in the restrooms, whether the, how many stalls there are, whether, and, and of course this was the case where they were literally putting uh, a plastic garbage bag over urinals because they, they were upsetting transgender parents had complained that the urinals in the men's room, now these were transgender men, were upsetting to them. And, and, and look, school choice. Let's let these folks have a bathroom where there's urinals with, with plastic bags on them, or there's no urinals at all. There's urinals with flowers and things in them. However they want it, let's let people have whatever they want. But until we get to that school choice, which I think a lot of the people who are who are politically on the other side, not not actual people who have kids in school, but who are politically on the other side, that last thing they want is school choice. They want a schools that they control and, and dictate these things. And that's a huge part, like 99.9% of this problem. But um, but until we have that, let's be sensitive to these issues because they involve real people. And let's be real that, you know, there's no problem if, if and, and I, I live in an area where they covered up a rape uh, in Loudoun County by a transgender woman against his girlfriend. <laughs> that's the only way you can say it because that's the truth of the whole matter. And then they transferred that transgender woman and he raped someone else allegedly in the new school where parents weren't informed that we're just passing along the problem. So, you know, you can say, well, uh, there's, they're just making a bunch out of this. Well, there are people, real people who've had a real serious issue. And so let's take every parent seriously. And you're not going to have a problem if people with the same types of genitals you know, I know there's a, a zillion different genitals out there, but there's only two that I'm aware of. And if you keep those people separate, you're not going to have that problem. You might have other problems. I'm not promising a rose garden, but you're not going to have that problem. So it it just seems like that makes sense. And and I'm look with all the money that's being poured in education, you can you can probably build a separate restroom. That can be a unisex restroom. It's just one person goes in at a time. They, you know, they can't do anything to anyone else. They can only hurt themselves. And, uh, and you know, there's all kinds of ways to solve this problem. Watch this problem not get solved. And watch this problem continue to be a way to fight and to make some people out to hate people who have a different sexual orientation or different views. And then... Other folks make other people out to be evil, trying to control what they're trying to do. And among the, the political people, obviously, some of that is true, that they are trying to control what other people are going to do. And nobody come to the conclusion that school choice solves the whole thing, solves the whole problem. Let people choose. And you, you just don't have these problems. You don't like it? Go somewhere else. I want to give you a quiz. It's a quiz because I don't remember this piece. 
court invokes first amendment that's from thursday last what was it about <laughs> this is new york um and new york you know new york is a little bit like california <laughs> and uh, and this is new york saying that uh different rumble other websites can be held accountable for hate speech and misinformation and disinformation and new york's court saying no no this law is enjoined and uh now the 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 case goes on they haven't shut down the case but um and this is court invokes first amendment which of course the courts should regularly invoke and they do but even in this case i mean i think if i were the judge I would have not only enjoined the law, I would have, I would have, you know, said, I don't, I don't even really need to hear the discussion. This is so obviously unconstitutional that I'm not only enjoining the law, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm permanently enjoining the law. I guess that's not how it works. They have to, they have to let lawyers make a lot of money and argue the case, but this is, it's a completely silly law. And, and look, it's not, it's not uniquely silly. California's law that doctors could be, you know, dis, dis uh, you know, what, what do they call it, uh, have their license yanked if they say anything that's against the scientific consensus, um, you know, that's equally insane. And a federal judge, I think that was week before last, uh, we wrote about that, uh, you know, federal judge said, no, you can't do that. But that we have legislatures and people in high places who who keep wanting to do this, you know, clearly they don't understand. Um, anyway, we only have one more to mention, and that is why no, the we have two. Do we have oh, two? No, no, you're right. There is only one more. Yes, you got rid of the last Shelby first. I thought that was an excellent job on that. By the way, mm-hmm. um, no, it's it, it's a it's a great story actually about Iowa hitting those slap lawsuits, but. Uh, and and going from being last in the country to first. But uh, why the balloon story ballooned, um, and we've talked a lot about uh, UFOs, uh, but it, you know, and and look, uh, and, and Jim, you, uh, Jim, uh, Tim, I, I've forgotten your name. Who are you again? You know, this is something that for years you've talked to me about different, you know, it's interesting that the government just for decades, you know, doesn't say anything uh, and give us any information. And very quickly, as they're looking at, you know, other uh, balloon phenomena and, you know, mostly their their our our radar has been set on things moving faster. But um, but we all of a sudden we're shooting down stuff all over. And it brings up UFOs. And it also brings up the fact that, you know, there are going to be times where if, if heaven forbid, we are in a war, uh, this is going to be true. But it's really true even as we see that the idea of us being in a war uh, is not nearly as outrageous and unbelievable as it might have once been. And... Uh, we need a government we can trust in some way. I remember years ago, two decades ago, maybe, saying to people that, you know, I'm a libertarian. I'm not for 
big government doing all kinds of things. And I'm not for everyone going, oh, well, the government said it. Oh, that's gospel. Because uh, it ain't. And we have to be very, you know, cognizant of the dangers of government. But me thinking that it's a little bit scary how little legitimacy our government has. Nobody trusts our government. Nobody on the left, nobody on the right, nobody with a brain in between. It's just, it just, nobody trusts the government. And that's not good. I mean, there, there's an element of good there, except it's not like we're, we're, boy, we're, we're taking names and kicking butt. It's not like we're holding government accountable. We all recognize we don't trust the government and it's completely unaccountable. So this isn't, it isn't good. It's bad. And we need a government that we can trust more. And that invariably means a government that we can hold accountable. You know, there's something interesting considering the UFO balloon thing uh, that's ballooned. Uh, and that interesting thing is that today, February 24th, 2023, what is it? It's 61 years since the 24th of February, 1942 Battle of Los Angeles. And this was a air raid scare uh, wherein the military uh, shot into the air hundreds and hundreds of round, uh, rounds of uh, major artillery into the air at something floating over uh, Los Angeles. And it's one of the most famous UFO scares in American history that no one knows about anymore. Almost no one pays any right. attention to it. But it's it's one of those, I mean, you hear the debunkers saying it was just balloons. It's always just balloons. and But they're also at the time, there's reason to believe that wasn't balloons. And it's very odd. And so that's one of the reasons to be you know, well, there was a balloon in America. That was it was obviously a balloon, and there is something in the and whatever was falling over uh, Lake Huron. I th I think it was pretty much a balloon or something non right. non threatening. Right. But the things that were shot down over Alaska and Yukon weren't weren't they weren't high school projects. They weren't balloons taken from car lots. I mean, the the thing in Alaska was very far north. Like there was there's, yeah. there's no way that it was anything that it was anything anodyne i mean it might have been chinese but it's it wasn't it was it, 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 it was it was odd and in fact the stories from the military men who shot the thing down they conflict like in and they say, it was, some of them say things that exactly like we hear in weird ufo encounters so i don't know what to make of all that i believe it's that one the one that was shot north of of the land mass of yes. alaska in the arctic circle that one they said at first was not a balloon was right. not a balloon right and and so it was some sort of unmanned apparently or at least that was the supposition to what they were saying but like a drone type thing but it wasn't quite clear at one point i heard a report that said uh they weren't clear what is propulsion i mean if it's not a balloon it's not floating if it's a you know a piece of stuff uh that's twenty thousand feet in the air but it's not a balloon and not floating or if it is floating what what kind of material is it it sounded very weird and and again it's it's i want i want to know what it is i want i mean we're all on this planet what the heck is this that we never get any information and yeah. and the information that we get on even major stories that they pretty much have to tell us something about because everyone knows about them and is talking about them 
is all spin. It's just so much spin and so little fact. And it's, you know, and, and I, I encourage people, if you if you doubt that, read read your newspaper or read on computer, or whatever, read these articles and and ask yourself how much of this is their narrative. And where why when they when they talk about a new poll that's uh, got a big headline, why am I never given the actual question? Why am I not given numbers and stuff? Why is there no analysis of crossing? Why are they so busy telling me what to think about these numbers that they never actually give me the numbers? Two corrections. The first one is me. I said 61 years. It has to be 81 years. I can do math. I don't know why I got that completely wrong. The other is there is one we haven't covered yet. And that's a question best left from February 13th. Huh? Monday the 13th. I was, I was probably so scared of that day. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, <laughs> did, did you do you know why February uh, the Friday the thirteenth is a is is considered a bad thing? No, I don't. Um, and it predates the uh, St. Valentine's Day massacre. Wasn't that a Friday the thirteenth? Maybe. No. Yeah, yeah, no. It's 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 the day that uh, it was commanded to basically liquidate the Knights Templar, uh, the Knights Templar in the medieval period. So it's a very old, it was a, it was a Friday the 13th. I forget what year, but the Knights Templar were liquidated by government and the Catholic church uh, as a heresy and as a bad political movement. And uh, just kind of interesting. It was a bad day for the Knights Templar. Let's just put it that way. Um, anyway, but a question best left has nothing to do with the Knights Templar. I'm certain of that. Well, I'm looking it up uh, now because I don't. And I, I remember guess. talking about the title. And it has a picture of Biden in a mask. Oh, yes. That was a good title. This is Lab Leak, which we have covered so much of and all of it well-deserved. But this is um, this is a piece that ran in the Washington Post. And I, I obsessed about this piece for days before I had the time to write anything up on it. But it just drove me crazy because it's a piece by David. I think his last name's pronounced Kwaman. Um, and he is a, you know, science journalist. That's the way he's described. Uh, but he, his whole piece in the Washington Post uh, is that the congressional committee looking into the origins of COVID-19 uh just should stop looking because they don't know anything and they're not experts on this and they ought to leave it to the experts. But of course, as we've previously talked about, when it was left to the experts, the experts like Dr. Fauci was busy colluding with other people who had a financial interest in it not being a lab leak origin that they you know, wouldn't allow that to even be looked at. And so he's saying, no, Congress shouldn't look into it. The experts should. Well, the experts can't be trusted either. And I'm with you that Congress is a bunch of bozos, but they're going to have experts come and testify. And if you want to know where this guy's head's really at, and this is someone who's writing about science, so he's not exactly in the, you know, big government, big science industrial complex, but he is, you know, kind of in that same sphere. 
and uh, as a journalist, and he writes this, consider one implication you might draw from a lab leak. We need less science, especially of the sort that fiddles with dangerous viruses. And from a natural spillover, in other words, animal uh, uh, to human, we need more science, especially of the sort that studies dangerous viruses lurking in wild animals. So he's basically telling us um, if it's a lab leak, it's bad for him and other people making money in science because it suggests they made a mistake. Maybe we should cover up every mistake, maybe just the big mistakes. But that's <laughs> sort of that's sort of where he's coming from. And uh, and and it's so, you know, it's kind of like the uh, the, you know, the guy working for a chemical plant saying, hey, these 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 chemicals are safe. I don't know what all these, you know, it he, he's got an obvious self-interest. And what he's arguing is don't look at this. Don't investigate it. We've got this all handled. Uh, but then he goes on, and I hear this sort of thing all the time, and it drives me crazy because it's not good for anybody to think this way. It's insane. And as I pointed out in the script uh, probably a couple of years ago uh, when someone was talking about anti, you know, that if you say anything bad about China, uh, boy, don't be careful what you say because somehow that will hurt uh, Chinese people, there'll be so much racism against them. Look, let's not allow anybody to hurt anybody for racist reasons or any other, but do not hide what terrible thing is going on because you are afraid people are going to be racist. Listen to this. This is from the Washington Post and from this uh, science journalist. From a lab leak, it was those foolish scientists in a Chinese lab who unleashed this terrible virus upon us. Suspicion, accusation, presumption of guilt, and even a tincture of racism may therefore inform our relations with China, not an effort to encourage transparency and scientific exchange. Now, geez, I'd like to just scream. The idea that we are risking transparency and scientific exchange with China. The same China that has hidden everything it can possibly hide about this virus and its origin. So, so even if you believe that we can't do this uh, because you know it's going to create racism, the idea that we're we're giving up this transparency from China, I mean, give me a break. And what he's saying is, after making an argument that it's really all the evidence is on the side of it being uh, a, a uh, I used to have the word down, animotic or wh whatever the word is for an animal to human transfer of this coronavirus. Zoonotic? Zoonotic. Oh, that's right. Zoology. And uh, anyway, um, but there is really no evidence for it. The evidence for it is this is how others have happened. That is not evidence that this is how it happened this time. That is conjecture that it's probably likely to be that way because that's the way it was in the past. That's not evidence. And there is some evidence, uh, I think, on the, on the lab leak that 
amounts to more than that. It's, but here he then goes on this long thing about how politically it's better if it's not a lab leak and if it's a, a zoonotic, you know, uh, origin. And that shows exactly what this is all about. It's just so transparent um, to me, and I hope it is to other folks. Uh, and of course, we link to the piece in the Washington Post so you can read the whole thing. But it is it is a science journalist explaining to us how politically it's better if we just shut our eyes and believe the science officials that this is most likely animal to human transfer, not a lab leak. Don't worry your pretty little head about it. Very good. Well, thank you for joining us. My name is Timothy Verkula. Paul will return next weekend if the cricks don't rise, the snow don't get too deep, for another episode of This Week in Common Sense. Remember, the URL to go to is thisiscommonsense.org.